that the census might be expensive. This week, the new capital budget was released by the city, and just like that, all of our money went poof. We'll get into some of the details and some of the places council is trying to save cash, like the census. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Nicely, episode 196. This is your last episode before Halloween. And this year, city councillors are dressed up as someone who can finish budget on time. Of course, after October 31st, they will take off that costume and go well over their allocated time. (laughs) Sick burn. On to the rapid fire. The head of integrated infrastructure, Adam Lachlan, this week wouldn't commit to opening the Valley Line Southeast before the new year. When pressed, however, neither he nor a spokesperson for TransEd were willing to say either the cause or the proposed remediation for the concrete cracking that is causing delays. Frustrated at the continued lack of communication and transparency on this massive public infrastructure project, we took to the streets and yelled directly at the crack supports. Much to our surprise, the concrete support spoke right back at us and said if we wanted to hear more, we should listen to Sonic 1029 between 3 and 7 p.m. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met with Edmonton Mayor Amarjeet Sohi on Monday. Reportedly on the agenda were areas of cooperation like affordable housing, hydrogen buses, and advancing reconciliation. Not officially on the agenda was the secret plan the two are drafting to consolidate their power within the World Economic Forum and enact their plot to drive the unvaccinated into inhumane gulags with cruelty and discrimination the world has never before seen. And LRT funding. A screening of No Visible Trauma, a movie about police accountability, followed by a panel discussion with a police whistleblower, a criminology professor, and other known critics of the police, will take place at Metro Cinema on November 9th, hosted by Councillor Michael Jans. RSVPs to the event have automatically been placed for you based on the EPS's list of critics, and every attendee will have their Court of King's Bench hearing for a charge of mischief under $5,000 automatically scheduled for two weeks after the event. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device. That makes it easier for them and for you. To learn more and to explore your options, head over to ab.bluecross.ca. So Mac, we're coming up on the end of the year, and in fact, the end of the four years, where we debate budget at Edmonton City Council. And so the next couple months will be filled with councillors running up the clock and their available money as they debate each individual budget motion. But this week, we got a preview of what's coming up when the city released its proposed 2023 to 2026 capital budget. Yeah, so as you probably know, there's different budgets that the city has. The operating budget is how do we provide the programs and services, you know, do the ongoing work that needs to be done to make the city run. And then the capital budget is all about the infrastructure, the things we build, the things we maintain. So both old things that need renewal as well as new things that we might want to grow. So this first release is the capital budget, and it's an ambitious one, totals $7.75 billion. Not all of that is money, of course, that council will get to decide in the next uh, couple of months where it'll be spent. A significant chunk of that has already been approved. So 4.4 of the 7.5 is already allocated to things like Blatchford, 
LRT expansion, the Yellowhead Trail freeway conversion. So there is some money there for uh, deciding on some new projects, although a significant chunk of even that unallocated amount, Troy, uh, in this proposed budget is earmarked for what the city calls strategic spending to help maintain infrastructure over the next four years. What is strategic spending? Is this stuff that hasn't already been allocated but is basically allocated? I'm thinking things like you know, making sure bridges don't collapse. Yeah, essentially they're saying we have a really big infrastructure debt, which we've talked about on the show before, and we need to spend the majority of the money that we've got in this capital budget on those sort of renewal projects. So things like rehabilitating the high-level bridge. They are also recommending things like replacing the original LRT fleet given that those LRT cars are now 40 years old. So those are the kinds of things that go into this capital budget. And the, the focus from administration is we can't allow this gap to get any bigger. We've really got to focus on closing the gap on things that need either replacement or maintenance, that kind of stuff. So with that ever-shrinking pot, some of the things that may struggle to get approved are things like the unfunded bike plan. Uh, this was the motion from Councillor Salvador, which we were excited about in a past episode. Mm-hmm. Could be... Anywhere from 175 to $240 million to do options A plus C. Getting that funded uh, with the amount that's left over, that could be tough. Yeah, and, and the other thing that might get cut is actually things we are, have already approved. So just like last week, we were talking about neighborhood renewal, and the proposal was maybe we should not go as fast on neighborhood renewal so that we have some more money. Similarly, administration is proposing that we axe some of the features of the Lewis Farms Recreation Center. So this is a really big project, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's been years in the making. And as part of their proposed budget, they suggest getting rid of the diving pool and shrinking one of the other pools that they said could save $58 million that could be spent on other things. I'm sure Councillor Andrew Knack would be unhappy about that. Sarah Hamilton as well in the uh, rough area of Lewis Farms Recreation Center. Like you said, this is a project that has been many a year to get off the ground, but it is, mm, maybe I'll say an extravagance. It is quite a large facility. And some of the proposals that administration is talking about is cutting the diving pool and shrinking one of the other pools from 50 meters to 25 meters. So... In terms of, you know, the ability of a family to go to the recreation facility and enjoy it, I don't think administration is proposing cutting those things. But in terms of making this a facility that could be host to competition and a quote unquote world class recreation facility, that may be on the chopping block to save on the order of $60 million. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, when I saw $58 million for a diving pool and half of another pool. I was like, wow, those are some expensive pools. I have no idea that that's what it costs. But what do I know about building pools? As you pointed out, Councillor Knack was not impressed and said he wants to keep the original design. And you know, he spoke to, I think it was CTV News about this. He sort of brought up some of the complication that we'll be hearing more of over the next two months when council debates these kinds of things. You know, he said, if we're going to shrink it, does that mean we now have to go spend more time redesigning it? Like it costs money to do a redesign. There's that question. If we do have to do that, it does delay the project. Then what? Does it mean the cost goes up even higher in this inflationary environment? So it's not a simple, we should cut that and we get $60 million. There's a whole bunch of knock-on effects that they need to consider when they when they make these decisions. Of course, you're not the only one who doesn't understand how much pools cost. A newly formed nonprofit called the Scona Pool Community Foundation has sprung up with the hopes of taking ownership of the Scona Pool, at least until the Rolly Miles Recreation Center opened. Now, this is the pool that we had talked about many times on the podcast. It finally closed after a council vote, basically to avoid the liability of 
perhaps a roof collapsing on patrons of the pool. Yeah. But this nonprofit society has submitted a pitch to city council to say, let us take ownership of the pool based on pledges from the community. So far, they've raised $10,000 in pledges from individuals, and they have a pretty ambitious goal. They want to raise a million dollars in the next three months, I guess, in order to reopen the pool by the end of the year. So I think they're well-intentioned. It's kind of what you said when we brought this up on the show, right? That why can't we keep this pool operational until you know the rec center is built and approved? Because that's a long way away, right? The Raleigh Miles is is down the road. And if we have all these other budgetary pressures, who knows how long it'll be until that's built. On the other hand, as you say, we don't want a roof to collapse in on anyone and they're going to need more than a million dollars to both reopen it and then continue to maintain it until that rec center is built. Even then, it's not just the infrastructure cost. There's also the liability and insurance costs. A nonprofit society that is funded only by donors from individuals and has less than a million dollars in the bank is going to be hard pressed to operate a pool facility without insurance backing from the city. And it does not sound like the city wants to insure this. Yeah, no doubt. So for this capital budget, uh, council will now get to ask questions about it. They can submit those questions to administration. They'll get written responses. And then, of course, we get to hear from the public or they will get to hear from the public as well with um, public hearings scheduled for the end of November. So lots more to come on both the capital budget and then also the uh, operating budget. The The next thing on the capital budget, of course, is it will go to council. So the first time they'll discuss it in a meeting is actually Halloween, October 31st. Like we said, this is going to be a long process. While council may discuss this on Halloween, we won't see an approval on this capital budget, likely until the end of the year, right before council breaks, and they approve this along with the operating budget. Of course, council can change exactly how they want to handle it, but that's how they've handled it in the past. Though past performance never guarantees future returns, like with the census, something that Edmonton has done for quite a while and may not do again. The last municipal census we did was 2019. That's where we got up to about 972,000 people in the city. And there was a question now before council, should we do this again? Administration recommended we shouldn't because it could cost, they estimate, $4.7 million to do a census. And there was consideration for whether we do it once in the next four years, maybe we do it every second year, um, which we had been doing there for or intended to do there for a while before the pandemic hit. Ultimately, though, executive committee decided to go ahead with administration's recommendation. They're going to pause on the census. So there won't be a census this year. And of course, many people will argue the feds do a census. Why does the city need to do a census? The city census was always a higher level of granularity than the federal census. The city census asked different questions and it got us different data. And of course, there was grant money on the table based on population and demographics, which the census helped qualify the city for. And of course, Councillor Knack did mention this in debate about the possibility that not doing the census could leave some grant money on the table. But eventually, executive committee decided that given the tight budget situation, the upside of the possibility of grant money may not overwhelm the actual cost of administering the census this time around. So for the time being, the census is paused. Yeah, we get like a bit more updated data, right? And that data can be used to get a little bit more money in grant money from the province, but maybe not enough to offset the the cost of doing it. I think the potentially disappointing thing about the decision is that 
other organizations throughout the city do use that data from the municipal census. It's much more up to date, of course, than the federal census would be. Um, and as you say, maybe even collects different kinds of information. So it's a bit unfortunate that those organizations, you know, won't be able to uh, utilize that data for their operations. But I don't, I totally understand when, you know, where executive committees coming from on this. I believe actually, Alberta is the only province that allows municipalities to undertake a census. So everybody else just relies on the, you know, the federal or, or I suppose if there's a provincial census. But, you know, Mac, permission, that's always something that's quite nebulous. Like, do I have permission to run a gravel parking lot in downtown? In many cases, the answer is no, but we do it anyway because Edmonton, or at least that's how we've done it for a while until the city council's urban planning committee passed a motion this week. Yeah, I think we talked about before, uh, Councillor Ashley Salvador had proposed, we need to do something about all of these illegal parking lots that are, you know, taking up space downtown, these unpermitted surface parking lots that are a blight on our downtown. And, you know, we don't get any benefit from those. And Urban Planning Committee agreed with her. And of course, what we're going to do then, Troy, is get a report back. So administration will come back sometime next year in the spring uh, with options for how they might, you know, redevelop these lots presumably how they might start to enforce the fact that they're operating illegally. So a little bit of progress uh, here for for Councillor Salvador's uh, motion. And of course, the gravel parking lot problem is a little bit more difficult a problem than just saying no to gravel parking lots. A lot of these parking lots are tied up with land speculation. A developer may purchase a plot of land and want to wait for that land to become more valuable, want to wait until such a time that the high rise that they will build there will be worth more money. So they leave the land empty. Now, some options we might see in this report are things like unimproved tax. You tax land that is unimproved like a gravel parking lot at higher rates. We may see punitive fees on unpermitted gravel parking lots. We may even see cash incentives. You know, maybe you get a property tax break if you make a park on your unimproved land and give some free green space to downtown Edmonton. I'm hoping we see some creative solutions like that in there. Though, Mac, having been around the city and heard this talked about quite a few times before, I don't know that I have a lot of optimism that we're going to get a innovative, effective solution here. No, one thing that will be in the report, according to Stephanie McCabe, who's in charge of urban planning at the city, urban planning and economy at the city, she said, uh, we'll have to address this perception, whether it's right or wrong, that it's hard to find parking in the downtown. <laughs> so this report about what should we do with these unlicensed parking lots is going to have to focus on, don't worry, drivers, there's lots of places to park. And even Councillor Ann Stevenson talked about this, right? She, she said this is an issue that has dogged the downtown for a number of years, but, you know, it's important to have parking for businesses to attract their customers. You know, that same sort of pandering to the people who complain whenever we take away even one parking spot. Punita McBride, who we've had on the show before, the executive director of the Downtown Business Association, has it right. <laughs> she said there's lots of legal, per permitted, adequately maintained parking lots. We don't need all of these gravel lots. To be entirely clear, you said whether the perception is right or wrong that parking is hard to find, it's wrong. Yeah, that was, that was Stephanie McCabe's. I agree with you. It's wrong. <laughs> there is so much parking downtown and pretty inexpensive parking too, not just inexpensive for Edmonton, but, you know, compared to other places 
there's no shortage of options for for parking downtown. I'm absolutely looking forward to a successful report here. Uh, of course, this report is dealing with illegal and unpermitted gravel parking lots. The enterprising listener will recall that, hey, didn't we just approve a legal permit for a massive gravel parking lot just north of Rogers Place? Think not on that, dear listener. That's We're talking about illegal gravel parking lots. Tell you two groups of people that don't need gravel parking, though, Mac. People who don't drive because they're 12 and people who take the bus. And council made transit much less expensive for that specific group of people. Yeah, I must admit I'm not sure about the use case here, but uh, we've had this fair policy in place since 2018, where if you're under 12, you ride for free as long as you are accompanied by a fair paying adult. So if you're with your mom or dad, on the bus or the train, you don't have to pay if you're under 12. Now, council has said, we want to remove the need for you to be accompanied by an adult. So if you're under 12, you can now ride transit for free. And that's what administration will bring back during the budget discussions. That's what council's direction was. Bring back this uh, policy, revised policy, so we can approve that. Councillor Knack said that this change would help children access libraries and recreation spaces. And he talked about the, the potential opportunity to almost, you know, get kids hooked on taking the bus early so they become, you know, frequent transit users when they get older. And, you know, there was also a discussion, I think, at council about low-income families and, um, you know, friends of kids, you know, if you're 12 and you have friends, maybe you want to take the bus without your parents around. So there is a use case, I suppose. It just struck me as a little bit like a weird optimization going into this budget. I think the optimization is less so that this group absolutely needs this and that this change is absolutely important. As much as it is a red tape reduction, maybe, I think Mm. it is a pretty ridiculous fair policy to say it is free as long as someone else is paying with you. It's much easier to just say under 12 is free. That's easier on a bus driver implementation. That's easier for a kid who doesn't need to find an adult to pretend to be going on the bus with. (laughs) Yeah. Because you know that's what under 12s are doing when they want to get on the bus for free right now, or the bus drivers don't care. So this seems like a sensible change. Of course, I remember when I was in fourth and fifth grade, I was riding the bus around Strathcona County where I was growing up, and it would have been a real spoil sport if I had to be with an adult while I did Mm -hmm. that. But the next logical conclusion is, you know who probably could use free transit as well? 16-year-olds. People who are going to cause a kerfuffle at the mall, much to the chagrin of the fast food court owners, and they want to do it without parent supervision. Those teens, those are people who could really enjoy some free transit. And that idea did come forward this week. Yes, administration estimated that they would lose about $20 million a year in revenue if they extended the free transit fare policy up to age 18. Um, They also said, you know, it would be more challenging for bus drivers and peace officers and other people to monitor and enforce. It's not as easy to say that person looks like they're under 12 versus that. Is that person 18? Are they older, older than 18? I'm not so sure. So they foresaw that that could lead to, you know, potentially disputes and things like that. But that idea didn't go forward pretty much because $20 million is quite a bit of revenue to lose. I do wonder if we can't reframe that question as the city currently extracts $20 million a year from youth and from families who are unable to afford the Edmontonian way of getting around, which is a car. I wonder how much value that $20 million a year really provides to the city over and above the cost of 
letting these people get around and enjoy the city. Because I remember being under 18. You're at best working a minimum wage job if you have a job. And, you know, paying $80, $100 a month for transit fare, that can be quite expensive for a 17-year-old. And just like with voting, if you establish transit ridership as a youth, you're more likely to have transit ridership for life. You're more likely to not buy the first car when you're in university. You're more likely to be these kinds of citizens that we need for the city plan 2050, 2 million Edmonton city. So I do wonder how much we're cutting our nose to spite our face by saying we'll save $20 million a year by making it more difficult for these youth to ride our bus. That was the thing that was going through my head during this discussion. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting reframe, right? And it's something that uh, probably could be considered uh, a little bit more seriously. I just think in the uh, the budget situation that we find ourselves in, that's a pretty tall order, I suppose, to look at that revenue and potentially have to figure out another way to do that. The other thing administration said is it's not just that revenue. It's not just the $20 million. If we did make it free for kids under 18, does that also then increase demand? Which is a good thing from our city plan point of view, as you point out, but potentially a bad thing if we haven't then invested to be able to satisfy that increased demand. And there might be, they said, the inability to meet demand for more, you know, school special routes and things like that. So it would cost more money in order to have more people using the bus, which is ultimately what we should be funding, but is a consideration that needs to be made around budget time. Well, it seems like nearly four years ago, we were talking about the budget for the 170 street pedestrian bridge replacement. This is the bridge that, if you'll recall, back from our teaser episode of Speaking Municipally, pre-episode one, we were talking about the Wem Bridge to nowhere. It's finally getting close to being done, but this is three and a half years after it was supposed to be done. Yeah, it was demolished in 2018, and then there was a bit of a kerfuffle over who would build a replacement? Should it be built by the city or the mall or the hospital? The Misericordia Hospital is right there. In the end, West Edmonton Mall agreed to pay $2 million. The city of Edmonton is paying the balance of that. Last year, around the election time, we got an update from the city and they said in nine months, they actually said a specific time frame, which is interesting. Nine months is going to be built. And we're here a year later and it's not quite there, but it is getting pretty close. It's about a $10 million project now, and uh, it's going to look kind of like the Walterdale, I understand, Troy, with this sort of gentle steel arch. Yeah, we had talked about this in the after show of last week's episode. You had broached the question of what happened to the bridge? Where is this going? And I had mentioned that I'd been over by 170th Street quite recently, and I didn't see any progress on the bridge. It looks like the way that they're constructing this bridge is building basically the entire thing off-site, and they're just going to lift it up and plop it down. But as you said, it's very Walterdale Bridge-esque. It's got these nice white arches with triangular support beams. With the Walterdale Bridge, you get to see the beautiful sunset over the river. With this bridge, you'll get to see the reflections of the sunset off the seven lanes of traffic that are spewing (laughs) smog out beneath you. But, you know... Similar project. Yeah, very similar. <laughs> it definitely will look a lot better than the old one that was there. We just had this like, it was kind of like a chain link dome, right? Over top cage, of that. Cage, I think. Yeah, like the... a cage. <laughs> yeah. You know, after we, we talked last week, I thought, well, we're journalists. We can find out. So I, I contacted Malika Ali, who's the project manager for this project at the city. Uh, and she said, 
final works are underway. They're working on erecting the truss structure, as you said, and that'll happen late November toward the end of the year. So they anticipate that depending on the weather, it'll be done by the end of 2022 and they will update their website with more information. And uh, great minds must think alike because CTV News did a story around the same time that we reached out to them. And so they actually have a video and a picture of that structure that is now going to be um, erected over 170th Street if you want to take a look at it. Also coming in uh, December is the uh, typical beginning of the 9 to 16 months of Edmontonian winter. And that means snow and ice removal. But Fear not, dear listener, the city has issued a press release that snow and ice experience, it's solved this year. Expect a radically new snow and ice experience. Yep, this news release was published, oh, look at that, Troy, October 27th, 2022. (laughs) (laughs) You probably could copy and paste this from previous years, I think, as you mentioned. The city said there will be an improved experience. There's additional funding, of course, that was approved. They think there will be more equipment on the road. They'll be able to cover more ground more quickly. They're going to do more pickup of snow this year, so there won't be as much left you know, on the, on the streets. There's going to be new sandbox sites for the public to use. They're still not doing bare pavement in residential areas, but they will reduce windrows and try and do a better job of cleaning up catch basins in the spring when everything starts to melt. All of those things were things that people complained about this year. And they also have a new parking ban notification tool that you can sign up for to ensure that you don't get one of the new increased fines for uh, parking where there's a parking ban for snow removal. All of these things I can think back when we introduced calcium chloride, we had a release saying snow clearing is solved. And when we were doing the pilot to clear down to bare pavement, snow and ice clearing is solved. And when we had the priority bike grid clearing, snow and ice clearing is solved. We've heard this sort of release before. Count me skeptical that uh, we're not going to all complain the entire winter about snow and ice clearing. But, you know, I'll let the city uh, do what they do. One thing I will note is there is one specific way where this release has diverged from every press release before it and that is right at the end they said this year we are excited to invite all edmontonians to participate in the name a plow contest i'm just thinking of the simpsons now but yes they said five plows will be named and they'll have those names displayed on them for the season so you can go to the city's website and submit your most creative ideas I don't think there's a prize. I think it just means your name gets selected to go on a plow. And this is, of course, we should point out, not a new idea. Many other cities have done this, and we're just copying them. You have until December 18th to submit your your names for this contest. Speaking of copying other people, the city has confirmed that the first name submitted to the Name a Plow contest was Plowy McPlowface. As it should be. So at time of recording, there are 113 suggested names. Uh, We'll have the link in the show notes where you can go see how many are when you're listening. And Mac, we each took a few minutes to find our top three favorites of the suggestions so far. What are are yours? What did you find? Okay, I'm going to do three with an honorable mention because I couldn't just pick three. It's hard. There's a lot of really good names. People are so creative. So I like Scoop Dog, Mm -hmm. Darth Blader. And the Windrow Maker. <laughs> yes, Windrow Maker was a good one. And my honorable mention goes to Backsleep Boys. Mm, yeah, see, your uh, interpretation of comedy and mine, uh, they, they do differ a little bit. Um, my top three that I uh, identified here was Anita Shovel, 
Uh, that mm-hmm. one, that one's good. I, I very much liked You Shall Not Pass. <laughs> uh, but I think top favorite, my uh, preferred plow name was Removed by Moderator. Yes, that showed up quite a few times. There must have been a few people with the same idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, you can check out all these plow names and you can see the five plows with the bad dad level puns on the roads this winter. I look forward to it. Of course, this winter, you can stay warm with electricity and natural gas, maybe even from Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. Uh, Winter is coming, so energy usage for all burns will be increasing, and now is a great time for all of you, dear listeners, to look at your utility bills and ensure you're on the best plan. Albertans have a choice on who they pay their utility bills to, and Park Power is happy to provide a free, no-obligation comparison. If you decide to switch providers, it's easy, and you can feel good knowing you are supporting a local business and helping give back to your communities with your utility bill. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. And that's all for this week, Mac. A budget is coming up, so we will waste no time because, like City Council, we may have to spend a long, long time covering this. So until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're... Speaking municipally. <laughs> Connor McPlovid. I'm gonna I gotta close this thing. There's some good ones. <laughs> <laughs>